Now I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a review because you guys know I love a good review. Um, We've been working through the book of Joshua now. We're 124 messages into the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua 21. Um, I took Joshua 21 and I broke it up. It's eight messages in Joshua 21. I'm not sure what the rest of it is, so we probably have about... Six months to a year, I'm assuming we're going to wrap up with Joshua. We shall see. We don't know. It's, uh, it's in the Lord's hands. But last week in our message was called Fulfilling God's Promise. We entered into Joshua 21, verses 1 through 3. And what we did was we addressed those that would be doing the distribution of the Levitical cities to the, uh, to the Levitical priesthood. God had made a promise to them. And so what we were doing last week was actually looking at those that were actually doing the distributing. We looked at Joshua and the leadership there. And what we considered was how it was that they handled themselves in doing so. We learned some lessons about really how it is that we're supposed to handle ourselves in dealing with others as well. One of the first things we noticed was the fact that they were approachable. They were approachable. They had this willingness to be open uh, to those that had a need. Joshua Lazar and the other leaders uh, made themselves available. We might say had an open door policy. They had the willingness to say, listen, you know what, come to us. And what we needed to, and what we challenged ourselves with is the realization is like, you know, as we interact with the world, do we make ourselves approachable? Are we those folks that have an open door? Do we have a willingness to hear the concerns of others? We discussed the fact that also that God's representatives should be receptive, meaning that they have a willingness to hear. They had ears to hear. Uh, many times Jesus says this, you know, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the realization is the fact that that's the attitude that God has towards us. He wants to hear our concerns. God makes himself available to us. The question is, are we good listeners, right? Being a good listener is a very uh, unique and specialized skill. There's not a lot of people that are really great listeners. There's a lot of people that are good talkers. You ever meet those folks? And then you try to say something to them, and they're just like, they're waiting for you to switch to stop talking so they can put in what they're going to say, and they don't even hear what you said, or they'll cut you off, right? So being a good listener is a wonderful, wonderful gift that you can give to people. Next, Joshua showed us that his representatives should be humble. And this was the fact. They, they received a reminder from the Levites. The Levites came to them and said, hey, listen, we want to tell you about we're supposed to receive something. And, and what we know is that Joshua already knew this. They were in the process of just doing the distribution. But instead of taking it in the wrong way, he took it with humility. He took it with a meek and a kind and a lowly spirit. And we saw in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says this of himself, that he's meek and lowly in heart. And this is something that you and I are supposed to be. We're supposed to be meek. We're supposed to be lowly in heart, meaning that we are supposed to be humble. Pride is the thing that divides us from humanity. Pride is the thing that separates us from God. And so the question is this, when people interact with us, do they see us being lowly in heart? Do they see us being humble? Unfortunately, many people unfortunately struggle with the issue of pride. And then lastly, we saw that God's representatives should be responsive. And what we saw with the Israelite leadership was the fact that uh, as Joshua leading his people, they all responded. There was a need that had been, uh, that existed. There was a, a concern that was brought to them, and, and they immediately responded to it. And not only did Joshua respond, but the Israelites as a whole. And the people came together and they wanted to fulfill the promise that God had made to these priestly uh, to these priestly Levites and the job that they were doing. And because of their example, we challenged ourselves individually and collectively as a church to say, that, listen, if there is a need, whether it be a physical or a spiritual need, are we responsive to that need? And I praise the Lord that that's the heart of this church. It is a wonderful place to be because when there is a concern, we can literally just make note of it and people just, man, you guys are just all 
over it. So it's a very, very cool thing. So I'm very thankful you guys are a great encouragement. Now this morning we're going to do is continue in chapter 21 and we're transitioning over from the ones that were doing the distributing to those that are going to be receiving the distribution. Remember the Levites, we're going to be talking about them today in our message, which is entitled this morning, Faithfulness Rewarded. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this word. Thank you, Lord, for your, uh, for the Bible that you've preserved and you've given us, God, that we can turn to and we can learn who it is you are. And Lord, through that, learn who it is we're supposed to be. Thank you, God, for what you've shown me. I know that I have studied, I have prayed. Lord, I have uh, I've asked you to speak to me, and I'm confident that you have. And Lord, I'm asking you now that you'd speak through me. Uh, Lord, that this would not be a message that comes from my mind or something that I want to share, but Lord, that would be your truth uh, displayed to us that we might have receptive hearts. Lord, I pray that you help us to have ears to hear that we might hear you, Lord, and not me. Help me to be removed from this situation. And Lord, I pray that you'd use your word to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua 21, verses 4 through 8. It says, And the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites and the children of Aaron, the priest, which were of the Levites, and had, had by lot out of the tribe of Judah and out of the tribe of Simeon and out of the tribe of Benjamin, 13 cities. And the rest of the children of Kohath had by lot out of the families of the tribe of Ephraim and out of the tribe of Dan and out of the half-tribe of Manasseh, ten cities. And the children of Gershon and by lot of the, out of the families of the tribes of Issachar and out of the tribes of Asher and out of the tribe of Naphtali and out of the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan, thirteen cities. And the children of Merari by their families had out of the tribe of Reuben, out of the tribe of Gad and out of the tribe of Zebulun, twelve cities. And the children of Israel gave by lot unto the Levites these cities with their suburbs as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Now, when we read scripture like this, a lot of times we can just sort of go, okay, this is just kind of uh, uh, like, you know, just giving us a list. It's just giving us information. Is there really anything else that I'm supposed to take from this? And what's really cool is the fact that the Bible is always teaching multiple things on multiple levels. And if we take the time to pay attention, we can see and recognize this. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take those scriptures and we're going to sort of dissect them a little bit and get to know a little bit of the story that's behind this. And so we see the individual players that took part in this distribution. We see from the specific Levitical groups that would occupy each region to the tribes that would provide those things that were to be given. All 12 tribes, what we notice, are participating. They're all involved here. We see this is going to be those cities. We know that the, 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 um, the, the tribes outside of the promised land, we see those that are east of the Jordan, they're taking part, but also those that are in the promised land. So this is a unified body of believers that are all coming together, and they are all focusing on con- doing, make, making sure that God's will is done and also that a promise is fulfilled. And the way that they do this was to give a portion of their inheritance to these faithful priests, these people that committed themselves unto doing the work of God. They were to be the hands and feet of the Lord on the earth, the Levites. Now within the Levitical priesthood, there were three divisions of the Levites. Okay, We have the three children of, of Levi. We have the Kohathites, we have the Gershonites, and we have the Merarites. Thankfully, those are not names that we have to use on a regular basis because that would be a little difficult. But their names are derived from the three sons of Levi. And we see this in Exodus 6, verse 16. It says that these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were in 130 and seven years. So we see Kohath, Gershon, and Merari. And what we're going to do today is get to know each one of them 
in their tribal forms, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites. Because in, listen, in getting to know them, what we're going to understand is as they start to, uh, through their faithful service, we're going to get an insight into how it is that you and I are supposed to faithfully serve the Lord in the world today because they are priests. But guess what? You and I are a part of a priesthood, a royal priesthood. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use them and connect their story to our story and start to get a bigger an insight into how it is we can do the same. But before we get to their story, I want to give us a reminder of the story of Levi, for that is the reason why they are called the Levites in the first place. It's all tied to this man, Levi. This was the third-born son of, Joshua, of Jacob and Leah. We see in Genesis 29-34. Says, and she conceived again and bare a son and said, now this time, this is very sad. Leah, this is a broken story we've talked about in this past. She says, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And Levi actually means to be joined or to be united. And as you probably already know, the Levites, each one of the, 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 the tribal um, sons of Jacob, what actually happened is they would become the, uh, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes that would eventually be established. So their names come from these individuals, one of those being the Levites. And so as we go through this and we start to look into their story, we do a little bit of investigation into Levi's story just to get an understanding of who he is and, and where kind of the Levites come from. And when we consider Levi's story, which is interesting, is the fact that we find that he had a rather checkered past. Levi didn't do so well uh, in some decisions as a young man. So we see failings all the way from dishonesty, and we see uh, conspiracy all the way to murder. Okay, so we look at Levi and go, okay. Now, if you're like I am or I was, I read that, and I was like, okay, so this guy is the patriarch of the priests. He's a murderer. Okay, so how does that, how does that work out? This guy it sounds like he was a bit of a mess. But what I want to do is to give us a little reminder here, okay? Because if we're not careful, the reason why I want to give us this reminder is we can write people off sometimes based upon their past, okay? Because what we need to do is be mindful of the fact that, guess what? We have a past as well, right? We've all come from brokenness. We've all made choices that we are very regretful of. And if we're honest with ourselves, before we met Christ, there was a, a, a lot of our life we might call ourselves a mess. When we look in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 1 through 7, these first three verses I want you to hear as Paul is, is talking to us about kind of where we come from, our brokenness, where it is that our origins are. It says, and you, hath, and you hath he quickened. Quickened means in our King James Bible, that means to be brought to life spiritually. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Trespasses against God, sins against God. Listen to verse 2, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. We live just like the world does today. We lived in the sinfulness of the people that we want to many times judge. That's not our role. We are to look into this world and say, listen, I can recognize my brokenness in their brokenness. It says, according to the prince of the power of the air, there is a prince of this world. There's a ruler of this world. And you know what? He wants to drag people to hell. And you know what? When we were lost, he was our boss. We followed his lead, but praise God, we've been set free. The spirit, listen, that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom, notice this, also we all had our conversation. When you see the word conversation, it's talking about the words of our mouth and the conversation of our life, our lifestyle, saying this is who we used to be in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, hello, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were just like the people that we see out there that are making a mess of themselves. Now, the reason I inserted this literally is for that purpose of the fact that we not try to write people off 
this reminder of our own stories helps us to have the realization that you and I are, guess what? We are, many of us, we're a mess. We have messed up our lives. We've made bad choices. We've come from brokenness. But God, but God stepped in and offers us a way out. Our tendency, once we get saved, as we start to develop and grow in our faith, and we've been saved for a period of time, is that we start to remove ourselves from our past. And we start to see ourselves only through this biblical lens. And what that does is sometimes it shifts us into, instead of having a heart for those that are broken, it causes us to judge people that are broken. It causes us to look down on people that maybe are in a failed place. And I always tell people this, listen, if you ever find yourself in a place of judgment, I want you to go back into your memory and find yourself at your lowest point your greatest moral failure. And I want you to bring that greatest moral failure and I want you to compare it to the person that you are judging. But by, but by the grace of God, right? But, but by the grace of God, that would be, that would be us. 2 Timothy 4.8 teaches us that God is a righteous judge, right? He is a righteous judge. He will make certain that justice is done. But you know, because he's a righteous judge and a loving judge, he offers redemption to those that have made a mess of their lives. And it's because of his mercy, his willingness to do so. You and I had a come to Jesus moment. There was a time in our life, if you are saved today, that you came to the realization that you were lost, that you were broken, that you'd made mistakes, that there was a penalty for your sin, and there was someone who had gone to the cross who loved you in spite of yourself and gave you away. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. To be saved, to be redeemed. Not because you deserved it, but because he loved you in spite of yourself. That's what he did for me, man, 22 years ago. I did not deserve Christ, but because of his great love for me, I was able to receive that gift. And we see those that are redeemed. And Ephesians continues. And what Paul now describes is that, that turning point, that, that moment of change. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, with wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, even when we were undeserving, this is the greatest news, man, undeserving, hath quickened us, brought us to life together with Christ, by grace you're saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Recognize the fact that your salvation, the moment you got saved, you are an eternal being, and your existence in heaven, your, your relationship with God, your presence with Him is eternal from that day forward. Our salvation doesn't start at the end of our life on this earth. You are already seated in heavenly places with Christ today. Understand that for God, time doesn't function like it does for us. Revelations and Genesis are working side by side. They're like this. It's like a circle. You and I live on a timeline, but God doesn't function like that. So while we're stuck in this timeline, God's going, guess what? You're already here with me. I'm already loving on you right now. And we're singing together and praising God. So it's awesome. <coughs> All right, I'm back. <clears throat> Verse 6, and hath raised us up to God. I just read that. I'm saving my voice. Go to verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God loves to redeem the broken. Praise the Lord. Because he loves all of humanity, even the misfits and the underdogs. Any of those here today? Amen. Dude, I'm telling you. Misfit for sure. And so Levi's descendants were given a chance or given a, an opportunity that they could redeem themselves. And guess what? They took it. It happened at the base of Mount Sinai. 
There was a time when the Israelites had turned their hearts away from God. Moses had gone up on the mountain, and he was gone for 40 days. And in that time frame, boy, the Israelites, they started shit-chatting and had a little bit of free time and idle hands were at the devil's workshop. And you know what? Next thing you know, they've got a golden calf, and they're having a big old party, and everything is going crazy. So there's a great failure. They turn their backs on God. And in that moment, when Moses comes down and he catches them in the midst, he's so frustrated that the, literally the Ten Commandments that God just inscribed with his own finger, he shatters them on the ground, and he goes and confronts them. And when he confronts them, this is what we find out in Exodus 32, verse 26. When Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Notice this. And all the sons of Levi gather themselves together unto him. Right? The Levites chose God. Of their own free will, they were given an opportunity. And with all the influence of all those around them, they said, you know what? We will stand with the Lord. They set themselves apart. They set themselves apart, making themselves unique amongst God's people. And because of their dedication to God, they were assigned to fulfill the priestly roles amongst their brethren. And one of the most important ones, one of the most vital ones that they would take care of was caring for God's tabernacle. The word tabernacle means dwelling place. This is the place where God would come down to earth to meet with humanity. It was incredibly important during the book of Exodus when we did our Exodus study. It took us 100 messages to get through Exodus. But we spent months and months and months on that tabernacle, understanding all the individual, why there was a number of rings, what they were made of, the tapestries, the layers that were done, why they were done in the order that they were, the sizes, the shapes. All those things are so specific and so particular. And what's so interesting is every time the tabernacle was set up, it was always set up with its door facing the east because you know what God when he moves in scripture always moves from east to west and he mimics himself in the rising of the sun the sun which you see in Malachi chapter 4 verse number 2 it says the sun of righteousness rise with healing with healing in his wings and it's spelled s-u-n capital s-u-n Jesus pictures himself in the sun right the light of the world moving from east to west and that tabernacle was set up always to face that way. So these Levites, their job, their role was to establish this tabernacle. Their job was to transport it. You got to realize that the tabernacle was kind of like a mobile home for God. It was something that they would carry from place to place, but when they would establish it, they would work together to put it in place. This is a <coughs> the most holy thing that had ever existed on this planet. It was holy enough that God himself would come down to it. And what we see today and what we're going to notice today is that there were individual, these priests had individual roles that will contrast between each individual group. Our responsibility as priests in this world, you and I have individual responsibilities. We have an overall responsibility, but then individually we've been chosen or called to do certain things. First Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 says this, but you're a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth. Notice that wording. It says ye should show forth. It does not say that they we will. Remember, God has given us a free will, an opportunity that we can choose him. We can choose to do the right thing, but choose to do the wrong thing. That ye should show forth the praises of him. This is what your life should do. Who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people. Remember who we were but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. By the mercy and the grace of God, we are children of God. And so as members of the royal priesthood, we have been given roles that we are to play. And let's look at these Old Testament priests to see an example of what we can learn 
about what it was that they would individually do in their faithful service. Now, the first Levitical group that we saw mentioned in chapter 21 were the Kohathites, the sons of Kohath. Just so you know, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were all Kohathites. Now, the Kohathites were given charge over the, over the holy objects that were inside of the tabernacle. To give you an idea what those holy objects be, the first would be the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God. And that Ark was where the mercy seat sat, and that mercy seat was where the, the two cherubims would face, and that one place right in between where the blood would be poured, the atoning sacrifice was made, that was on that mercy seat. That box was made out of a, stuff, a wood called shittim wood, which is basically like acacia wood. It's very, very hard. But it was enco encoded or en enclosed in gold. It is a representation of God, because what it is, it's showing corruptible, which is wood something that rots, brought together with something that is incorruptible. So it's a picture of God and man in one. And guess what? It contained the Word of God. It contained the Ten Commandments. And what does the Bible say? The Bible that says that the truth was in Christ. It is a picture of Jesus. It had a crown that went all the way around it, a golden crown. So there's all these representations of Christ in that, in that object. No one could touch it. No one could even see it, in fact. It was set aside except for one day a year when that high priest would go in and make that atoning sacrifice. So extremely, extremely holy. Then we see the golden altar of incense. We talked about this last week. That golden altar of incense that sat just on this side of the veil. So here's the holy of holies where the ark was. Then there's the veil that separates the holy place. And in the holy place, there's that golden altar of incense. And we talked about the fact that there was a specific recipe that was to be made that that incense would burn. And it would be specific in the, in the smell that it would be. And that was a beautiful picture. And then we know in, in Revelations 18, it talks about the fact that it's a picture of the prayers of God's people. Right? And we know about praying according to the will of God, according to God's recipe. One is received, right? There was what's called strange fire. That brought death and destruction, but there was one that was received, right? That was someone who had the willingness to pray according to God's recipe, the picture in that incense. Then we have the showbread table, which is to the right. And in that showbread table, interesting enough, it had two stacks of, of bread that were there. The Bible, understand, is our, is our meat, right? The Bible talks about milk and meat. When you see meat in your King James Bible, it's talking about any kind of a, of a bread or something, anything you're going to eat like a, as opposed to a milk. But what we find is the fact that there's two stacks. There's six, six and six. It just happens to be that your Bible has 66 books in it, 66 books in your Bible. And what we find is it's representative of the 12 tribes. So here's a picture of the Word of God in that tabernacle. And then we also had the, the, the lampstand. And the lampstand had seven lamps on it. We know in, in Isaiah 11, chapter number 2, he lists out the seven different attributes of the Spirit of God. Pictured in that lamp, it's a picture of the, of the Spirit of God. And so these were extremely holy. These things were incredibly important. And what would happen was Aaron and the priests would go in, he and his sons, they'd go in and they'd wrap these things up. Because guess what? Nobody could see them. They weren't able to even touch them. And what we see here is, let's look at this in, uh, where are we at? Boy, I'm not even in my notes. Oh, yeah, I am. We're doing great. <coughs> Let me get a sip of water. <clears throat> I get excited. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Amen. Grace, I love it. Right on. You guys are awesome. But what's interesting about each one of these individual items that we're going to get to in just a second is the fact that this was a really dangerous job. Okay? It's a really, really dangerous job because Aaron and the priests would go and they'd wrap these things up. But when the Kohathites got to them, they weren't allowed to touch them in any way, shape, or form. They weren't even able, able even to see them. So their job was extremely hazardous. Numbers 4 verse 15 tells us how hazardous it was. Numbers 4 verse 15 says, And when Aaron and his sons 
have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward. After that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. And because of the danger involved, they would move these things on what are called staves or poles, and they would carry these from place to place, never to see them or even touch them. And very interesting. It's most certainly, we notice in Numbers 4.15 that it says that they would bear it. It says the sons, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. They were an integral part of moving the most holy thing on earth, bearing the weight of carrying God's holiness on their shoulders. Do you hear that? Carrying the weight of God's holiness on their shoulders, carrying it moving forward. They were literally risking their lives every time they did what it was that God had called them to do for His glory. Of the three Levitical groups, there is only one that is risking their life every time they do what God asked them. The Kohathites had the most dangerous priestly duty of them all. And so if we consider Christians today that are doing jobs that are the most dangerous jobs, I want you to consider as Kohathites, those that are in the world today would be those people, the men and women that are on the mission field, that are many times in places where it is not safe to share the Word of God. There are national pastors right now that are functioning in places like in China where they function underground. They do everything that they do hidden because what they're doing is illegal. It's illegal to share the gospel. It's illegal to talk about or even have the Bible. And if not illegal, it can at least have great persecution attached to it. I made a list of about 52 different countries. It's going to pop up here, and you're going to, I think you guys have it on your sheet as well. Just giving you a list of places where it is either completely illegal, can be risk of death, if not prison sentence. It can suffer uh, things like caning, uh, beatings, uh, persecution at all kinds of different levels. And we see these nations here where this is certainly true. And can I tell you that Canada is not far from making that list? More and more and more is it becoming hate speech just to share the Word of God. And you know what? The United States is not far from making this list. Our world is getting more and more dark to the gospel every single day. But in these countries, modern-day priests who are nationals and missionaries are carrying God's holiness to the world. And where the tabernacle used to be the most holy object, the most holy thing on the earth today, can I tell you, it is God's Word. The only physical thing that you can hold on to that is absolutely pure, that is absolutely holy, is God's Word. Containing purity, containing truth, and life eternal. It delivers. And delivering, listen, delivering this truth can be extremely dangerous. It is amazing the hostility that exists towards this book. The truth of the gospel, man, brings out unbelievable hatred in people's lives. But what I want to touch on real quick, as we're considering that there are tyrannical governments that exist, there are places where, listen, it is, it is illegal to share the gospel. Romans 13 makes it, makes it very clear that you and I are supposed to function underneath governmental rule. Okay, As long as what we're doing, right, if, if, it, if, if, if we're by the law, if it tells us that we're supposed to defy God's law, well, then we defy the, we defy the earthly law. And, 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 in doing, and in doing so, as long as we're maintaining God's law, is, is, is again, if, if, if we're commanded not to share the gospel by a governmental law, 
Well, then if we share the gospel and we are defying that law, we are not defying God. We are honoring God. We honor God, but we also at the same time honor the governments that have authority over us. Understand that when Jesus came, <clears throat> it was not about bringing destruction to the Roman Empire. Right? He did not come to overthrow the government. That was one of the things that the, 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 the Jews thought he was going to do. He was going to come and free them from Rome. Have you come to set up your government? Is this the time when you're going to overthrow Rome? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the whole, that's not why I'm here. That's going to be the second time. In the first advent, I've come here to make a way for humanity. And what we find is the fact that as, as he was functioning underneath the Roman rule, we see him say this in Luke 20, verse 25. Notice, Jesus knows that God has ownership of everything, and yet this is his wording. He saith unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. He's saying honor the authority of what government is over you while you are honoring God's. And this is how you and I are to continually function. So if we just, don't dis we just disagree with the law, we do not have the right to break the law, right? As long as we are staying, if it's calling us to exceed our, 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 our mandate by God, then we can exceed it. But if it's not, then we stay underneath the law of the government that we're under. Now, as, as the, uh, the world becomes more adversarial towards the gospel, we've got to be mindful of the fact that you and I, it's going to become more dangerous for us every single day. We're going to put more of ourselves at risk. The Bible says, you know, Jesus says they hate you, right? Because they first hated me, right? The reason why people have hostility towards us is because, unfortunately, they hate the gospel. They hate the truth of the word of God. The, 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 the God of this world wants to stop the truth from going forward. The Bible says that he has blinded the minds of those who might believe, right? That they might see the glorious light of the gospel, so there's a broken world that's caught up in darkness right now, and you and I are called to be a light. We're supposed to be a light. And if we're not careful, we can allow our own fears to keep us from saying and doing what we should do. But we, so we see the Kohathites, a picture of those that are going out, and they are risking themselves. They are putting themselves in great danger in order to do their job. Next, we see the Gershonites. Now, they had an extremely important role to play in establishing and transporting the tabernacle. But instead of dealing with those things, those internal furnishings, what we'll find is the fact that their role was to manage and transport the coverings, all of the external coverings that you would see, the badger skins and the tapestries and all that stuff. That was, that was their job. We see Numbers 4, verse 24 through 26. <coughs> Let me just get a sip here. All right, it says this is the service of the families of the Gershonites to serve and for burdens. And they shall bear the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of the, of the congregation, his covering and the covering of the badger skins that is above upon it, and the hanging for the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the hangings of the court, and the hanging of the door of the gate of the court, which is by the tabernacle, and by the altar round about, and their cords, and all the instruments of their service, and all that is made for them, so shall they serve. And so similar to the Kohathites, the Gershonites are carrying their assigned portion of the tabernacle on their shoulders. We can certainly see here, it says that they, they bear. We see that word again uh, displayed for us. But what we don't see is the fact that they're risking their lives. Their job is not endangering them, displaying to us that there are varying levels of risk in regards to the responsibilities of individual priests. And so what we find is the fact that uh, their responsibilities, each group, again, uh, there are dangers involved, but nothing like it would be for these others. They're carrying the most holy thing on earth. And, under and understand, in order for the most holy thing to become the most holy thing, in order for the tabernacle to become the tabernacle, everybody had to do their job. 
Each person had to fulfill their individual specific part. And when they came together and they fulfilled their role together, it finally became what it was to become. Each specific individual part was absolutely instrumental in completing the work. Then we see the Merarites. The sons of Merari were to carry the heaviest load. Okay, as they were, uh, to, as they were assigned to carry the the wooden beams. Okay, now recognize these beams were made of acacia wood, and again they're coated in gold. And what you got to realize is they're about ten feet tall. It's estimated they would weigh between six hundred and eight hundred pounds apiece, and there are tons of these. So this this is a massive, massive job. Look at uh, Numbers chapter four, verses twenty nine, and then 33, 31 through thirty two. And it says, For the sons of Merari, thou shalt number them after their families by the house of their father. And this is the charge of their burden, according to all their services in the tabernacle of the congregation, the boards of the tabernacle and the bars thereof and the pillars thereof and the sockets thereof. When you see sockets, what happened when you got to realize the fact that those golden pillars, what's so awesome about the tabernacle is there's all these really specific details. Gold represents deity. Silver actually represents redemption. So the only way that deity could come in contact with the earth would be by way of the silver socket, redemption. So the only way God can come in contact with the earth is by way of redemption. It's all pictured in the materials that are chosen for this specific thing. But those sockets weigh about two to 300 pounds apiece. Okay? So this is not an easy job that they're doing. Verse 32. And the pillars of the court round about and their sockets and their pens and their cords with all their instruments, with all their service, and by name you shall reckon the instruments of the charge of their burden. Burden. Notice that this, this uh, last word used for them is, is burden. This is certainly a very, very tough job that they're doing. Each Levitical group was assigned the same job of transporting, carrying, and assembling God's most holy tabernacle. It was a burden for each one of them. And when we see that word burden, there will be times in your life as a Christian that God is going to place a burden on you. It's going to be an interior compulsion to do something, a draw, right? And as God gives that draw, it's a matter of whether or not we will will respond to it, right? God wants to uniquely use our stories, right? We look at our stories and go, why did I have to go through these things in my life? Because God wants to use your unique story in a very special way. Because everyone in this world has unique stories. But sometimes our stories can interconnect. Sometimes your past will connect with somebody that I could never connect to. Someone that an experience that you've had as a child or as a young adult or as a parent. Something that you've been through. And there's someone who's out there who's so broken who thinks that no one can understand. And boy, oh boy, when suddenly your story connects them and they start to realize that there's hope in Christ. It's an amazing and beautiful, beautiful thing. So there's burdens that God will place upon, upon our hearts to uniquely use our lives. And what we saw with the Levites was that each had a different responsibility. Some were to carry the furnishings, others the tapestries, the coverings, and some the burdensome frame. But when they all did their jobs, recognize this, seen and unseen, because recognize some of these were easily able to be seen, but some of these people wouldn't even pay attention. The most holy object on earth, God's dwelling place containing purity, truth, and life eternal would be on display for the world to see. That's the desire, right? The message of the gospel, which comes from the word of God, that's our job is to put this on display. The world is supposed to see Christ in us. They're supposed to see the word of God through the life that we live and the the things that we do and the, the word that we proclaim. 
The Bible is the most holy object on earth. And we're supposed to be displaying it every single day. I don't mean you put it in the back window of your car as it fades in the sun and you go, oh, everybody goes to Walmart knows I don't read the Bible. <laughs> or we have it on the table and it's covered with dust. That's not this, what this is about, right? It's about reading God's Word, living God's Word, displaying God's Word, professing God's Word. The Bible says, you know, people can't hear because they don't have a preacher. You listen to that. Preacher's not just me. We're all supposed to be preachers. Preacher simply means that you're going to be willing to share the truth of the Word of God. You're going to speak on His behalf. The Bible's truth is to be displayed. Now, some might be on the front lines. Some might be literally on the front lines carrying the Bible, carrying the gospel into hostile territory. Can I tell you right now, there are people in the world right now who are actively risking their lives every time they open their mouth. There are people right now that are in threat of going to jail every single time they display the Word of God. Every time they say something, they're doing it undercover. They're trying to share the truth. So there are those that are out there doing that, those that are seen. And then there are some, right, who maybe are not as outspoken, right? So we certainly have those that are on the front lines that are in dangerous places. Then we have other people, maybe who are a picture of the Gershonites, who are sharing the gospel. They're doing something actively. Now it's not as dangerous, but they are actively displaying the God's word. And then there are those that maybe are like those that are bearing the burden at home, that heavy load, those that maybe don't have necessarily the strength or the confidence right now to be that evangelical individual. But you know what they can do? They can give. You know what they can do? They can pray. That's the greatest gift we can give to our brothers and sisters. Yes, supporting our missionaries is absolutely important and it's essential and we will always, always do that. But man, they need our prayers. They are risking everything. And the power of God through prayer, man, intercessory prayer on behalf of others, it's one of the most wonderful, joyous things. It is a gift from God and it has the most incredible power. So we see those doing the unseen. Each one doing their part is vital and essential to the gospel going forth. The Bible being displayed. And I'll leave you with this. Recognize the fact that in each of these, we're going to see that there were rewards that are given out. Each Levitical group would receive a reward. What we find is with them, as we go back to our scriptures, we see that the Kohathites received 23 cities. We'll see that the Gershonites will receive 13 cities. And we'll see that the Gerarites received 12 cities. Now, what's interesting about that is that tells us something, revealing to us that though the rewards may vary, they're based upon effort exerted, but also, also risk taken. We know that there are different crowns for us, rewards that will be received in heaven, based upon what it is that we put forward for the glory of God, the risks that we take for God's glory. But what's really cool is every one of them is rewarded. They might get different rewards based upon what it is that they do and what they're called to do, but in the end, they are all rewarded. And see, that's the thing. God rewards faithfulness. He always has and He always does. When we look in Scripture, we always see that God will say, if you'll do your part, Guess what? I'll do my part. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, right? And turn from their wicked ways. What do you say? Then, then, if, then. And so God's saying, hey, listen, the ball's in your court. I've told you what it is I expect of you. I've given you the requirements. I've shown you what it is that you're supposed to do. I've given you examples in Scripture. The Old Testament is the picture book that reveals to us the things that we can look at and go, there's an example I can follow. 
right? The most important Bible words in the entire Bible are the word as and the word like. Every time you see as and like, God's saying, I'm getting ready to give you an example. The word as and like are the keys to understand the fact that God's saying, hey, listen, every time you see them, he's going, just pay attention to what I'm getting ready to show you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? These are such important things. And as God takes us through these principles and he shows us what it is to reward faithfulness, he's trying to tell us, hey, listen, if you'll be faithful, guess what? I will reward you. I will reward you. All I'm asking is that you just simply do what I call you to do. As a priest, you've been given a role, you've been given a job, and wherever you're at, wherever job you've been given, do it to the best of your ability. And you know what? I will see it. Those things seen and those things unseen. I will see it and I'll reward it. The question is this. What will our faithfulness yield in 2024? Will it be more of the same? Or will it be rewards in heaven? Recognize God's called us to something great. And as time grows short and the Lord's return gets more and more imminent, man, look at the world outside us right now. Look at what's going on on the world stage. There are so many things biblically that are lining up telling us that the time grows short. If there was ever a time when we were going to be faithful to share God's word, to display it and live it and not be distracted by the things of this world, because boy, I tell you, there's never been a more greater time of distraction than now. My goodness gracious, we're always being pulled in different directions to see things that do not matter. How much time is wasted on a day-to-day basis on things that make not one iota's difference in eternity? I'd hate to tell you, man, most of the things that we spend our time worrying about and being concerned of ain't going to matter. Because I can tell you the politics, governments are corrupt no matter what government is, no matter where it is. Guess what? It's corrupt. Because guess what? It's of men. And you know what? God says, listen, I don't want you to have your eyes on the government and change in the society. What I want you to do is get, your, get, get my people to do their job so that the broken and the lost can realize that it's not about finding a ruler on this earth, but it's to find one, one in heaven that loves them. Because if people will turn their hearts to God, then guess what? The government won't be an issue. It's not the issue of, the, of society we have a problem. It's the issue of hearts. We must reach the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. So let's pray. <coughs> Thank you, Lord, for today. for today. Thank you for the truth of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for what you've shown us. And, Lord God, for the work that you are doing in and through this church. Lord, I thank you for the way that the things that you've shown us in Scripture. I thank you, Lord God, for the way that you have, uh, Lord, equipped us through Old Testament and New Testament comparisons and recognizing and seeing, Lord Jesus, what it is that you can do. The great and the mighty can be done and accomplished, Lord, not because of anything that we'll do, but, Lord, through our surrender and trust that you will and can do great and mighty things. So, Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, as we try to sanctify ourselves from this world, as we try to set ourselves apart like the Levites did in that moment when they were challenged, who is on the Lord's side? Come and stand with me, Lord. And I just pray that uh, that would be our hearts, that, Lord, we would turn from the things of this world, that, Lord, we would sanctify ourselves unto uh, those things which are godly, that our lives make a difference, that we would stand out, that, Lord, people would see, uh, Lord, hope in us, that they would see uh, uh, peace in us, that, Lord, they would see rest, and, Lord, they would understand what you are what your intention is for this world. Lord, you know, we know that you love the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, your desires that all men would come to the knowledge of Christ. So Lord, I pray that you use this church, use this body. 
Lord, to share that message to this broken world. And for those maybe that are here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand. Maybe you're watching this, you're listening to it recorded. And you say, I don't know where I stand with God. There are people that are religious that are sitting in churches right now that are going to die and go to hell because you know what they're trusting in? They're trusting in religion. They're trusting in a prayer that they said when they were a kid. And you know what? Hey, I prayed that prayer. I'm all set. Can I tell you this? The Bible says, by their fruits, ye shall know them. There is a change. The Bible says we become a new creature. And if you look at your life and you say, listen, I'm the same person I was before. I'm not compelled to do the right thing. I'm struggling not to do the wrong thing. I'm in a constant battle because my flesh is eaten up with wickedness. Can I tell you this? That the battle between the flesh and the spirit is true for Christians as well. But if you are always having to hold down evil, always having to hold it down and put forward a brave face of Christianity, there's a problem. Because you know what? The Bible talks about the, 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 the grieving of the Spirit. It talks about something called godly sorrow. This is when the Spirit of God inside of us churns to do the right thing. And we unfortunately struggle with our flesh because sometimes it battles against us. But can I tell you this? If that's not churning in you, if you're okay with wickedness and you're putting on a brave front, you're probably not saved. Jesus Christ died on, this, on the cross to save the lost. And right now, right where you are, as broken as you may be, as, as turned upside down as you may be, He's ready to receive you and turn your life upside down for the glory of God and to give you peace that you cannot even possibly imagine. So if you're here today and you do not know, if you are saved, if you don't know if you're a child of God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. The Bible says that, uh, and Jesus said, no man cometh to me but the Father, draw him. And you'll feel the compulsion of God. You'll feel the draw of God like a magnet drawing a piece of metal. And if you'll surrender to that drawing, God will save you. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Now, there's no magic in the prayer. There's no ceremony that's going to save you. This is your heart. So as you repeat these words, the word's not powerful. It's the heart and the intention behind those words. So if you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I believe that you love me, that you died for me, and that you raised again on the third day, proving you were God. In the best way I know how, I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me my sins, and I'm asking you to give me a home in heaven. I receive you as my Savior. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.